You all have heard me tell the story as a little boy. Um, I had this problem in the summertime. When it, it was summertime, boys are supposed to be outside getting what? Getting dirty. And, man, I was the king of dirt. And uh, my brother, my sister, and I, if, if anybody had to be spot-checked when they got out of the tub or out of the shower, it was me. And you've heard me tell the stories. I'd go take a bath, and I'd get in there and have my G.I. Joe's, whatever, and played. And, and I'd get out and leave, and I was just as dirty. Basically, when I got out, it's when I got in. And you remember me uh, telling you, I would go out, my mom would say, Dwight Allen, come here. And mom, I remember her like Sister Pope. She'd grab my ear and turn me around. Dwight Hensley, you're, you're nasty. You are rusted around your neck, and you got stuff all around the back of your ears. Get back in there. And I remember one time I come back out after one of those little reprimands, and I remember in all of my glory in the bathtub, like fourth, fifth grade, my mom came right on in there with me, and she wore my neck out with a washcloth, and, and it, was, it was humiliating. Um, my point in that is this. I mean, there was a point. Okay. I, I'm starting to lose my wife's facial expression sometimes. Sometimes like, oh, my goodness, what is he saying? But the reason I took a bath was what? To get clean. Was I coming out clean when I got out of the water? Absolutely not. And everything we do in life, there is a purpose, and there's supposed to be an end result whenever we go to do something. And so when I went to the bathtub, I was supposed to come out smelling better, and I was supposed to have ring around the neck. I wasn't supposed to have dirty spots behind my ears. And I don't know what it is about boys. Maybe it's from scooting on the ground. I don't know how a boy gets rust and dirt behind his ears. I don't know what it is. Uh, but for whatever reason, I had plenty of it. But my mom expected me, when I was big enough to take a bath alone, I should have been big enough to know how to take care of myself and wash myself. And so tonight I'm going to talk to you about four things, and the first one is learning to finish what you start. And uh, a lot of times finishing is not near as glamorous as beginning. Uh, how many of y'all looked at here at the Sonic, and you're glad that something's going on at the Sonic restaurant? Yes. When we had Sonic there, it kind of limped through and had all kinds of different stages, and it never was very good. And, and if you ever went down there to get ice cream, they would be... Out. If we went down there, excuse me, to get onion rings, they would be. If you ever went down to get a hamburger, they would have them, and we'll leave it at that. Tater tots, fries, and burgers, you're okay. Anything else, out. So the reputation wasn't very good. It finally went out of business about three years or so ago, and now we're getting a what? A Mexican region, uh, restaurant, Las Brisas. I think there's one of these down at Malden. Isn't that right, Brother Sister Cooper? Is that where it is? And one over in Sykes Center somewhere, and, and they're good. They have, uh, it doesn't matter, but. Here's the deal. We go down there, and you see they have a work permit on it, and it says, coming soon, Las Brisas. And everybody's thinking, dude, I don't know where I'm going after church on Sunday. I'm going to go smell like a Mexican restaurant every Sunday. It's right here. We don't have to go to Dexter. We don't have to go to Advance or, or anywhere else. We can go right here to the big town of Bloomfield. And it's going to draw everybody else from every other church. So just get ready. But the thing is, we see all the progress that's went on so far, but what if they stopped there? We may have our anticipation up, you know. My wife and I live right across a couple of fields. If you look out, out here in the parking lot, if you look, well, we don't live there anymore. <laughs> Forget that story. <laughs> we used to live, it doesn't matter. Okay. It'll be handy. I'll just say it that way. It'll be handy. But it would be a real bummer if all of a sudden we go there tomorrow and they got the Las Brisas sign off and they got the work permit off and it says closed until further notice. How many of you are going to go, man, that's stupid. That's dumb. They should finish what they and how many of us in our life, we need to learn to finish some things that we start? Haley, have you ever got through, halfway through somebody's hair and all of a sudden they get up and say, I'm done, I'm leaving. And they go out with one side cut and one side uncut, right? You know, haven't had that happen. Well, 
it could happen. But wherever they went, where they, if they went to Walmart after and went to get their groceries, and everybody's looking at them funny, and she went around telling everybody, I went to Haley, I went to the, the, the Bloom, I went to Bloom and get my hair done, and she only did half of it. She didn't finish what she started. Is that going to be good for you? Not at all. But in every one of our lives, there's something important about us that we finish what we begin. It's, it's extremely critical. I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, and go to the book of Joshua. And this is going to be a little gross and a little graphic in some ways of what takes place here in the book of Joshua. But it's truth. Joshua chapter 10 and verse 12. Then spake Joshua to the Lord, and in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. It is not written in the book of Joshua. The sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hastened not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before or after it. And the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. You may think, wow, that's amazing. But Joshua, we hear all the things that Moses done. But in the heat of the battle, why did Joshua say, son, stand still, don't move. Moon, stay where you are. I need everything to be perfectly still so that we can do what? Slaughter and finish what we began. He knew that if it went into darkness, their momentum would what? It would stop. It would be hindered. And in your life and my life, there's some things called momentum. You can feel it on Sunday. Some Sundays you walk in, you walk in, you feel momentum. You do something about the atmosphere, the attitude, it's there. And if you do something to hinder the momentum, everything just kind of goes, boom. It just settles. So Joshua knew in the moment that they were, that they had to finish the job then. So he spoke in faith that both elements would stay still and they wouldn't move. And you may wonder, why is that important? Well, scientifically, if I was a scientist, I could tell you, but since I'm not, I can't. But I know there's an effect upon these things, staying in the positions they were. It kept uh, maybe emotions or whatever the deal was. It may have been a full moon that night and things would have got crazy. But whatever, he told him to stand still. Go to verse 15. And Joshua returned and all of Israel with him unto the camp, to camp to Gilgal. But these five kings fled and hid themselves in a cave in Machadah. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings are found in a cave in Machadah. And Joshua said, Roll great stones upon the mouth of the cave and set men by them for to keep it. Now here's the deal. I don't know all the details, but if you're going to put something up and get it locked up, what are you putting it there for? That was weird, guys. That was weird. We hadn't done that in a long time. Why would you be blocking them and locking them inside of a cave? You knew where they were, and you had a purpose in keeping them there. And is it important that we learn to keep certain things locked up and out of contact? Absolutely. So he had these kings put there, and they rolled stones over so they couldn't get out. You may wonder, what's that have to do with finishing? We're going to come back to that in just a minute. They went on, if you'll notice, in the next verse. Go down to verse 24. And Joshua said unto them, wait a minute, we're going to go back somewhere else. Verse 19, and stay ye not, but pursue after your enemies and smite the hindmost of them. Suffer them not to enter to their cities, for the Lord your God hath delivered them into your hand. And it came to pass when Joshua and the children of Israel had made an end of slaughtering them with a very great slaughter, 
till they were consumed that the rest which remained to them entered into fenced cities. And I want to stop here. And then all the people returned. You may think, well, what's the big deal? They put the kings, the leaders of all these people, and locked them up in a place to come back later and deal with. And did you know in our lives there are certain things that we may get past, but we still have to go back and deal with them. Some of you have got people in your life now that you've got resentment against, you have unforgiveness against, you have all these other things, dynamics in your life that have to be dealt with, and right now you've got them locked up until the time is right to deal with them. Now let's go down to, um, let me just stick to my notes for a minute. He requested more time to finish what needed to be done. Verse 17 and 18, wisdom um, during the heat of the battle. He took time to make a decision to put the kings in the cave, cover up the hole so they couldn't get out. Verse 19, he said, keep going. Don't quit. Defeat your enemy while the time is ripe and the momentum is going your way. I remember Layton saying often that Coach Hicks, the, when he played basketball at Bloomfield, Coach Hicks would always say basketball is a game of runs. You'll have a run where everything's going your way, then you have a run when everything's going their way, unless it's just a lopsided game. But there's always momentum back and forth. And as a coach, as a leader, as a man of God and a woman of God, you've got to know when to call a timeout. When you begin to see the enemy coming against you and the momentum's picking up, you have to be the one in authority that you say, wait a minute, time out, I'm stopping this. I'm stopping it. And when you begin to stop it, then you begin to take a charge and you can regroup and begin to pursue the way you need to pursue. Now let's go down to verse 27, I mean verse 24. And it came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua, that Joshua called for the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war, which were with him, come near and put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near, and they put their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed, be strong and of good courage. For thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies whom fight against you. And afterward Joshua smote them, and he slew them, and he hanged them on five trees, and they were hanging upon the trees until the evening. And it came to pass at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, they took them all down from the trees and cast them back into the cave where they had been hid. And they laid great stones over the cave's mouth, which remained to this point. And what was my point? The point is this. Finish. Sometimes there are little things that may have a little hiccup, and, and maybe something started years ago, and you keep thinking, now it's not that big a deal. If I finish it, you still need to finish. Whatever it is God has laid on your heart and called you and he spoke to you about, don't put it in the cave and leave it. Go back and take care of this and make it what it needs to be. Point number one. Point two, a little more effort. A little more effort. Let me ask you a question. And you don't have to answer, but I want you to think. Why did Joshua go back, take the kings out, brought them before all the people of Israel, and had them, everyone, killed with a sword? Why did he do that? The authority of who they were in God, but mainly... The reason he, he killed them all, he could have been nice. He said, guys, I want you to go back home and civilize your people and teach them about God's grace and his forgiveness. But he knew he had to take care of something at that point in his life that was threatening everybody. Because if he had sent them back, they would have regrouped, they would have brought more people, and they would have come and faced opposition again. And that's something that you have to think about in your life. There are times in our life that we have to go back to the cave, those remnants of something that used to be there, and we have to deal with it. I'm not telling you to kill people or annihilate people, but I'm telling you this, you have to learn to deal with issues that can come back and try to haunt you later. Go to Matthew, if you will, in chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And this is a passage that 
you hear me refer to pretty frequently. Chapter 5 and verse 38. You have heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever compel thee shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh for thee. And from him that would borrow of thee, turn out thou away. A little more effort is something that very few people are ever willing to do. We have, a, we have a problem with a lot of people nowadays in the time in which we live. Nobody wants to do a little extra. Everybody only wants to get by with doing what's required. But nobody will ever enter into greatness as an individual, as a human, as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as an employee or an employer until you go above and beyond what everybody else does. I don't believe that God has called us to be ordinary. I think he's called us to be what? Extra ordinary. Something that's a notch above. Something that's a little bit different than what everybody else is. I think that whoever works for you, they ought to be able to look at you and go, wow, you go out of your way. There's something different about you. I don't care who works around you. Everybody that works with you needs to look at something about you and they go, wow, there's something extraordinary about how you carry yourself. You do go the extra mile in what you say and how you act and how you behave. Are you following me? That extra mile is what sets most people apart. Because to be honest with you, most people are completely satisfied to be ordinary. And until you become extraordinary, you're going to be like everyone else. You just kind of fade in the crowd. And what is so important about going the extra mile? First, very few ever get there. Secondly, very few are ever willing to get there. And third, that's really where victory lays. What if Joshua would have said, okay, guys, the sun's going to go down in about three hours, so we got to be strategic. we got to go home, or we got to cook them some supper. we got to go home and get a shower because we got to go back and battle tomorrow. You know, we all need to go home to your wives, take care of your kids, get them to sleep. Does that make sense? Not a bit. So what he did is he began to speak to something to give them more time to finish the job. To finish it, and the second part was going the extra mile. He did something no other leader in history really ever spoke, and this type of thing took place. And in your life and my life, nothing's ever going to happen until you go the extra mile. We're going to go to the book of Judges in chapter 3. Book of Judges, chapter 3. You got my picture up yet? Misty, can you put that picture up? How many of you know what this is? Stick. Good answer. Yes, that is a stick. Anybody know what this is? Eric, what is that? Eric, what is that? <laughs> okay, it's not made for, it's not a sickle, it's not a thrasher, it's called an ox goad. You go to the cell barn, they'll have a fiberglass stick and they'll have a little hook on the end, and that's just to get their attention. If you ever show cattle, you'll see kids and FHA kids, or FFA, whatever it is, whatever. They'll, they'll have their cows and they have a stick with a little hook on it, and it's called an ox goad. And what it is, Originally, what they do is they scratch the cow's bell in their neck and their back just to keep them preoccupied with being groomed so they'll stand there and pose for the, the judges. But what this was for is when you were working oxen, you had this ox goad. And what you would do, if they one was slacking off and the other one was doing too much pulling, you reach up and peck it a couple times in the backside, and it would give it a little what? Motivation. That's a motivator. And I want you to leave it up there. I don't want to take it down. But there's something about this stick. You may think, well, why in the world is he talking about an ox goad? This was turned 
from an ox goad into a weapon. The one guy used to wipe out 600 people with one of these. And the people he were fighting against were the Philistines, no, the Moabites. They were fighting the Moabites. We'll get to that in a second. And you may think, well, why is he using this? Because everybody has a tool. Everybody has something. Everybody has an ability. You have some talent, some skill, some something that you have that, that maybe is uncommon to everybody else. Maybe it's your ability to communicate. Maybe it's your ability to sing. Maybe it's your ability to, 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 to teach. Maybe whatever it is, maybe you just have a person of wisdom and you have a tool to reach people that other people normally don't have. And so what happened here in the book of Judges chapter 3, the first guy we're going to read about, his name is Ehud, Ehud, E-H-U-D. And this guy was left-handed. He's the most notorious left-handed guy in scripture and he had this king of the Moabites and let's just go ahead and go there chapter 3 of the book of Judges which is in the Old Testament right after Joshua chapter 3 Judges verse 16 but Ehud made him a dagger with two which had two edges of a cubic length, and he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. Now, I want you to envision this. He had him a little lanyard here of some sort, and he had this little sword, twenty about 20-inch sword, inside of, his, inside of his robe, strapped to his, left, his right leg. So he had this thing, and he brought it, uh, and he brought the present to Eglon, Eglon, the king of Moab, and Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But he himself turned again from the quarry, quarries, and were, which were by Gilgal, and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, Keep silence, and all that stood by him went out from him. In other words, Ehud was setting him up. I want to tell you something confidential. And so the king said, Everybody leave except Ehud. He brought me a nice gift with gold or maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe herbs, whatever it was, but he brought him a gift, and he sent everybody out except to the king and, and Eglon and Ehud. Now stay with me. And verse 19, but he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret, verse 20. And he had come into him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And he had said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat, and he had put forth his left hand, and he took the dagger out of his left thigh, and he thrust it into his belly. And then the half also went in into the blade, and the fat closed up upon the blade, and he could not draw out the dagger out of his belly, and the dirt came out. And what it means about dirt, but his guts began to come out. Now, I know that's gross, and this is kind of grotesque, but here's the deal. This guy was, was setting things up for a victory. He began to, he done something that nobody else was brave enough to do. But he knew the Moabites, hated the Israelites, but he went ahead and made him a sword, stuck it in his leg, went up to this guy, took him a gift, told him he had a secret to tell him. He tells everybody to live, and he says, I have a message from the Lord. What was the message? You're going to die, boy. you dying. Here it is. Takes it out, sticks it in his gut, and watches everything come out. And he leaves, and it says that he locked up the doors, and he went his way. You may think, well, what does this have to do with this? What this has to do with this is that after that point, whenever this took place, and he killed the king of Moab, Israel went in and overran him and took him down. And you may wonder, why is there always references to Moab? And if you can go back and study it yourself, and I do encourage you to look up the, the descendants of Moab and where it came from. It's kind of an evil group of people. But I want to go a little bit farther down. Let's go down to uh, verse 29. And they, 
And they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty. And the lusty doesn't mean they were looking for women or looking at each other. Lusty means they were bold and brash and they were full of energy and they were very skilled warriors. And all the men of valor, and they escaped not a man. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for fourscore years, 80 years. Look in verse 31. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew the Philistines, 600 men, with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. And you may wonder, what's the big deal? There's only one verse about Shamgar. There's one other voice, verse about him, and I can't remember where it is. But he was the third judge in Israel's history. Not a lot of history about him. But there was something about him that he'd done with this. And it was, it was kind of a, an, or, an orthodox instrument, something you normally wouldn't go to battle with, but it worked. Who can you think of another person in the book of Judges who took the jawbone of a donkey? Absolutely wiped out a thousand dudes. I don't know why, but I get this. How many of y'all have ever played those games on computers, which most of us haven't, but some of us have, and it's like uh, these fighter dudes, you know, and they do all this stuff, and they, they spin real, real fast, and they take people out, and I could do it really quick if you wanted me to, but I probably won't, and, but they, and these guys will fight real fast, they're ninja, like ninja fighters. I just get this image of Samson spinning real fast, whooping up on a bunch of dudes real quick, and I see him being the same way, but I think we graduated to the, to the Jedi mode. Because you've ever watched these guys work those ninja sticks. Now, some of you got to jump on board with me. I know it sounds goofy. Not nunchuck. This is the big staff, man. It's an ox goad. And he wiped out 600 guys. Now, here's my third point. And that was it. Uh, if your focus is not right, you're going to go backwards. Resist the urge to quit. Because let me tell you, I don't know about you, but... But if I was a guy and I had one of these and I was having to take on 600 guys, it might be a little overwhelming to try to take the battle. But you know what he did? And he was written in Scripture in one place that this judge led Israel and he delivered Israel also with an ox goad. The last place we're going to go and we'll be done. It's in the book of Joel. Four things you got to learn to battle. And if you don't learn to battle for things in your life, then you're going to let somebody else overrun you with the battle. The first one we talked about was finish what you start. The second one goes the extra mile. And the third one is don't quit, don't retreat, don't go backwards. doesn't matter what you have or you don't have, you never quit. And the last one is going to be you've got to be willing to battle. In Joel chapter 3, Joel chapter 3. When it comes to battling in, uh, in your life, there's a variety of tools that we can use, and one of it is being faithful, the other one is worship and knowing how to enter into worship. The third one is, is camaraderie with other believers that can challenge you and keep you and kind of keep you encouraged and picked up. And, but battling is something that every one of us have to be willing to do, because if you're not willing to battle, I'll, I'll use Nikki for an example. Nikki has been through umpteen things uh, about dealing with her kids, and and I know she's still fighting to get her children back after several years now of, of living on the straight and narrow and doing the right things and, and all the things she's living and she's having to face some consequences of past decisions. But, but we're still believing that God is going to restore some, some, at least her daughters, what I'm believing for mainly, back to her mother so we can get some things back where they need to be. But the only person that can continue to battle is not Philip. 
It's not Deborah and Terry. It's not me. The one person that's most critical to battle is who? Nikki. More than anybody else. Doesn't matter who goes to bat. Doesn't matter who goes to witness. Doesn't matter who else steps up for her. She's got to be the one that's willing to battle. And in the book of, in the book of Joel in chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 9. It says, proclaim you this among the Gentiles. Prepare, prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let the men of war draw near and let them come up. And beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. And assemble yourselves and come. All ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. And so this is a battle that is calling people to learn how to, to prepare things for battle. And when we may not, today we may not be, I know we're fighting a lot of things for our Second Amendment rights, and that's a big thing on the news. But when it comes to spiritual battles, what is it that you have to beat things down and turn your beach and your plowshares into a sword? What is something in our life today that is so common then we need to beat down and make it an instrument to serve him. Let me tell you, back in those times, they were using, they were using plows so they could survive. And they were using means of different things so they could learn to live and continue to live and, and provide income. And when I think about us today, what is it in our life that takes the biggest majority of your time? And what are you willing to do with it? I know you have to work. I understand that. But what are some other things in your life that you're spending doing and wasting your time on? I'm going to give you some examples. I'm going to give you some examples, and I don't mean this to be offensive. But there's times you've got to learn to bust some things up that's demanding of you. Larry Gerald held up his phone. Absolutely, your phone. You know, and do my phone's with me just about everywhere I go. I may forget every now and then, but it's not very often. It's in my back pocket or at least in my truck. It just is. But I don't have games on it. I don't get on social media. About the only thing I ever do... You know, really listen to preaching and singing and a lot of text messages to a lot of you guys. But it's one, there was a time in my life I spent hours on the thing doing nothing of no good at all. I had no benefit, no benefit. It was a waste. So I ask you, is social media a bad thing? Not necessarily. But if it's so demanding of your time that it's taking quality time away when you could be investing in other people, then you need to put it aside. There's nothing wrong with tweeting. There's nothing wrong with Pinterest. There's, and I know Pinterest is not a social media. I was a joke this morning. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with Facebook. But there is something wrong with me and you when it begins to consume us. And so we have to learn to beat those things which really are not that beneficial down and replace them with something that has more quality and has a more of an end result. Does that make sense? Let me, what else can we talk about? Let me talk to you about sports for just a minute. And I know some of you, your kids play sports, and there's nothing wrong with sports, man. I, I was a sports fanatic years ago, and after I got to a certain age, realized it wasn't relevant in my life. I just kind of gave it up, and I always enjoyed it. But one of the things that happens so often with young families is that they are so busy with running kids to play sports, they lose their family. They lose their life. Man, let them get dirty. Let them get dirty. We have lived out where we are for about three weeks and those girls get baths all the time now because they're always coming in nasty, always. Always crudding their fingernails. And my own knife, I can't dig it out and make it look good enough, so you give them another bath. Am I right? You give them another bath. Let them get out and live without sticking them on a stinking, watching videos or put them on a game. Do something in your life that's productive. And that's what he's talking about, beating the plows and plowshares into swords. It's doing something that's, that's protective and something that's beneficial for you. Okay, I may have just offended you and some of you think, well, I don't do anything like that. How many of you watch soap operas? 
How many of you get on the phone and gossip for seven days? How many, whatever it is, anything that is hindering you needs to be something you take authority and you beat it down and you take control over it. I'm going to wrap this up in the last thought. There's four things that have to happen for us to begin to have a greater victory over things in our life. And the first one is being willing to battle. The second one is you never retreat, you don't quit. The third one is the extra mile. What's the first one? What's the first one? Finish what you start. Finish what you start. You know, you may think, well, why do you bring this message tonight? Because I think a lot of us are, have got things going, but sometimes we don't finish. Sometimes we don't battle. Sometimes we don't go the extra mile. Sometimes we don't take care of things the way we should. And for us to really be victorious in this walk with Christ, there's a lot of things we got to learn to do differently. How many of y'all spiritual things just come natural? Man, you wake up every morning, you've got three hours, you sit and just get in his presence and you read and you put on worship music and you just sit there all day. Anybody do that? Yeah. In a car. But, you know, all of us have to take some time to set it aside for things to be enhanced spiritually. And it is going to take the extra mile. And some of us, we said this a few weeks ago, sometimes life isn't fair and it may require a little bit more of you than it is someone else. And if you've got a lot of issues that you battle, it's going to require a little more discipline, a little more work in your life to be victorious over the things that may not plague others as bad as it plagues you. 